I have a funny habit of returning from vacation where I often spend time in the vacation or a mission trip of some kind where I often spend some time in the mountains to return to this passage and feeling a certain amount of pressure to, to glow in front of you. Uh, now, I did, I did other things. I spent some time here in Northeast Ohio. Let's see, I, I completed the Barbenheimer Challenge while on vacation, which is both Barbie and Oppenheimer, as well as a few other, few other films, but then went to West Virginia and the New River Gorge State Park and did lots of good mountain things. And so if you're not seeing a glow, I assure you there's an inner glow right now. That, that is only mildly diminished by the alarm clock going off this morning. Well, Jesus in the passage, we, we have two mountains this morning, Jesus and Moses. Jesus climbs the mountain with Peter and James and John, and he is visibly transformed before them. Moses climbs Mount Sinai to receive the law, and when he returns... He is literally glowing. He is shining so much that he has to put a veil on over his face so that he doesn't freak people out. Am I, am I freaking anybody out? Am I glowing that much? Or are we, okay. I'm, we, we might say that that kind of holiness is just fine for Jesus, and it's just fine for Moses, but, but do we really believe that transformation, transformation like that is something that is available to, to us normal human beings? Is transfiguration uh, a nice, uh, is, uh, is it a nice inspirational story? Or could it actually be an essential part to becoming fully human? The truth is that God made us for this. God made us to be transfigured. But let's talk for a minute uh, about how we begin to get there. That kind of profound change is not only for saints. It is not only for matriarchs. It is not only for heroes of the faith. Nor is it suddenly about reaching nirvana, nirvana under a Bodhi tree or a dogwood tree or whatever kind of tree you prefer to sit under. Transfiguration is a part of becoming fully human, of actually becoming who God created each and every one of us to be. Former Archbishop Rowan Williams speaks of this, and when he does, he talks about contemplation. He says that contemplation is, is the very heart of transformation. Indeed, he says, contemplation is the key to prayer, liturgy, art, and ethics. And, and to put it boldly, contemplation is the only ultimate answer to the unreal and insane world that our financial systems and our advertising culture and our chaotic and unexamined emotions inhabit, encourage us to inhabit. He said that 10 years before TikTok, before Twitter or X or whatever that's called now. 
Both Jesus and Moses, they climbed the holy mountains, and both were changed when they went up there. Yet both also spent time during their journeys, and they're in the scripture this morning, in a state of prayerful contemplation. Moses was silent for days before his encounter with God. And Jesus, upon reaching the height of the mountain, he began to pray began to pray. These stories cannot be told without silence. Silence is, of course, hard to come by in this world. We are surrounded by a perpetual din of noise, of things grabbing our attention, wanting what? Our eyeballs, our, our focus. Isn't that troubling? Our souls need time to turn off the noise of the world and to be with God and indeed to listen to God who sometimes, if we're really quiet, if we're really paying attention, might actually tell us something that we didn't already know. But the key phrase is paying attention. Contemplation trains us to pay attention. Now, contemplation means many things. The most obvious of which is contemplative practice, meditation, prayer, walking the labyrinth. But I realize that uh, going on a 12-day meditation retreat is neither attractive to many people or even possible for most of us. So I want to think of this. That's a good start, of course. But think also of simply learning how to pay attention, learning how to notice and listen, to set aside what we think we're about to see and instead begin to be changed by seeing the world just a little bit more as God sees it. And that means seeing it a little bit less as we assumed it already was. Contemplation, you see, is the root of meaningful change. And change, what is change? But the thing that we want the most, but that we work the very hardest to prevent. Perhaps you've noticed that we don't really like to change. What's more, while when we don't like to change, we really don't like to see other people change if we ourselves are untransformed, if we have not had that, that transfiguration experience. Now, if you are courageous enough to step away from the noise of the world, whether that's for 10 minutes or 20 minutes a day, or even just learning to create a few seconds of silence for extra listening, if you're able to do that, I promise you, you are going to meet resistance. You will encounter resistance from the 24-hour-a-day noise machine that demands your attention, that demands your, your focus and your energy. And as you begin to experience this change, we think it's just going to be great. Everybody looks at us, ooh, he's beginning to change. Let's go spend time next to that guy. No, it doesn't work that way at all. As you begin to change, you will meet the resistance of friends and family members 
who maybe haven't done their work or, or who don't know how to begin that work. And they're afraid that they're going to lose you. And as you undertake this journey of transformation, and this piece really saddens me, you might even meet resistance from your church. Hopefully we're a little better about that. But let's be honest. It can be hard, especially if that church or that community or that family has not done its own work. Archbishop Williams said, what people of all ages recognize in these practices is the possibility, quite simply, of living more humanely. Living with less frantic acquisitiveness. Living with space for stillness. Living in the expectation of learning and most of all, learning, living with an awareness that there is a solid and durable joy to be discovered in the disciplines of self-forgetfulness that is quite different from the gratification or impulses of this or that moment. Now we're talking about a church, but it could be a family. It could be a community. And he says, unless that church, unless that community lives in this place, it will run the risk of trying to sustain faith on the basis of an untransformed set of human habits with the all too familiar result that the church comes to look unhappily like so many purely human institutions. Anxious, busy, competitive, and controlling. Contemplation, though, is ultimately about finding in self-forgetfulness the ability to see and therefore the ability to live differently. It's as much about what we learn to see as it is about how we pray. And Rowan Williams reminds us that contemplation is essential. He says, to look at God without regard to my own instant satisfaction... To learn to scrutinize and relativize those cravings that arise within me. This is to allow God to be God and to allow the prayer of Christ, God's own revelation to, to God, to come alive in me. And, and I discover, and this is my favorite part, this is all what we're working towards here. I discover how to see other persons and things for who and what they are in relation to God and not to me. That's transfiguration. I discover how to see other persons and other things who, for who they are and what they are in relation to God and not to me. Isn't that just a bit different? from what the world teaches us, just about every minute of every day. And I can't help but ask, who, who does this? Who lives like that? Well, well, the answer is those who have learned to find that powerful still point within 
Those whose prayers and practices have refined the way they see and love and move about the world. And and I don't want you to lose heart and think that I'm talking about nine or ten yogis who have figured this out and the rest of us haven't gotten it. This is a kind of step of transfiguration that we all get to participate in through our journey where we each get glimpses and tastes of it. And when you do, I hope you'll share that. Share that glow with all those around you so they can get a taste of it as well. That is what transfiguration looks like. Moses' time of prayer and silence in the presence of Yahweh, that resulted in the law. I mean, talk about a deliverable. He came down from the mountain with with tablets of a whole new way of seeing the world. This, This was innovation itself. And what would it mean for us? To spend that same kind of contemplation with God. To then to come down and to reflect the same kind of glory. And even to do so without having to wear a veil. So that everyone around us can see not not only what we say, not only what we do, but also who we are and how we radiate the gift, the presence, the grace of the one who created and loves each and every one of us. Archbishop Williams writes, to be contemplative, as Christ is contemplative, is to be open to all the fullness that God wishes to pour into our hearts. With our minds made still and our hearts ready to receive with our self-generated fantasies about God and about ourselves reduced to silence. We are at last at the point where we may begin to grow. And the face that we need to show to the world is the face of a humanity in endless growth towards love, a humanity so delighted and engaged by the glory of what we look towards that we are prepared to embark on a journey without end. Reduced to stillness and to silence, we are at last ready to grow. We are at last made free to love the world that God created, not for what it can do for us, not for what we can take from it, but rather we love the world. We love each of the children of God for their intrinsic oneness with God, with the one who created each and every one of them. And when we do this, we are changed, and when we are changed, We are made free. This, in the words of St. Paul, is our transfiguration. Our unveiled faces reflecting the glory of God. Amen.